By Every Measure Season 2 is supported by the Argosy Foundation. Hey, this is Tariq Moody, Program Director of Hyphen. And this is By Every Measure Season 2, a podcast from Radio Milwaukee, part of the NPR Podcast Network. We're back creating a safe space for black voices to be heard and our experiences validated. We understand the deep impact of systemic racism and how it continues to affect our lives in ways that many people outside of community cannot comprehend. While some of the country are trying to stop these conversations from happening, we believe having them is very important and will lead to a better, more inclusive world for all. Because you can't have American history without black history. So, Tariq, this is our last episode for By Every Measure, season two. Good times, right? Good times and uh, some deep conversations. Yes. We've talked about a lot of serious topics, Mm -hmm. um, you know, from uh, black birth outcomes, from housing issues, generational wealth, which is definitely one of my passions there. Yeah. Um, We talked about, we kicked it off with uh, Brain Drain. We did. In the city of Milwaukee that has uh, recently lost uh, close to 17,000, I guess. And the mayor now is trying to double the population. Majority of the people that left were of people of color, specifically black people that left on the north side of Milwaukee. And one of the reasons why we did that was because of that. Yeah, and I think that starting with that as our first topic mm-hmm. of conversation, I think that was, it was intentional, mm-hmm. but I think it really was broad, broad enough that anybody could identify yeah. with that. And, you know, whether you're a person of color, whether you're black or not, you could still identify and say, yeah, there's something mm-hmm. that the city could do to keep black and brown talent here, talent of color, and just talent who wants to be here and help the city grow. One of my ultimate goals of this was hoping people... And seats of power and gatekeepers will listen to this and, and hopefully be inspired to do something. Yeah, that's the biggest issue. Mm-hmm. Yes. Inspire the people, but also inspire the people in power yes. to take action. Exactly. This final episode, we decided to close out with kind of more uplifting yes. conversation. The topic of black resilience. Uh, what does that mean to you? Well, to me, black resilience is really just what we do every day. You know, we wake up, the sun is shining, whether it's, whether it is or whether it's a snowstorm outside, we have work to do and we just put on our boots and we do it. I know a lot of people like my parents says like, you know, it's tough to be black, but I will never change it for anything in the world. And I think that means a lot in the terms of black resilience. Think about it. Barely 67 years ago, there's still Jim Crow. There's still covenants. There were yes. still black and white water fountains. I remember my parents picking fountain. My parents were poor, like poverty. My parents had outdoor toilets and dealing with racism. I remember my my aunt mm-hmm. like threatened the church. We're good enough to clean your church, good not good enough to attend. They got death threats. Yeah, and what's what's crazy is you and I, I mean, we're we're not as close in age mm-hmm. as we could be, but my dad experienced some of the same things and grew up in the same times as your parents mm-hmm. and your your aunts and uncles. And so regardless of our ages, this stuff permeates mm. and it continues by generation. And so part of that is breaking down those barriers and breaking down those stereotypes that continue mm. to permeate throughout our culture from other people, you mm-hmm. know, and just making sure that we stay confident, we define who we are, exactly. and then we use that definition to excel. And that's my parents. You know, my parents exude black resilience. I mean, my parents were poor. My dad went to school, went to the military. Try to get a house with a VA loan, would turn down, got a house one way or another, helped build generational wealth for his family. 
and seeing what he's done and what he has gone through is a symbol of black resilience. And Reggie Jackson is going to talk about some of that. And he's a great symbol of black resilience. Here like, in Milwaukee. Here in Milwaukee. Like, he is the Milwaukee's griot. We got a chance to talk to him about black resilience, what that means. But on a personal level, we also talked to him about him recovering from a uh, stroke, which is also uh, black resilience. Because black people, specifically black men. When you talk about health. Health. Mm-hmm go through a lot of heart attacks, strokes, suffer more than any other race. And yeah. he, he survived, he re- resilient, lost weight. And he almost lost his voice. So a lot of things that you two talked about on a more personal level, and we'll get to that a little later in the episode. Talk about black resilience in Milwaukee. Like, what is it then? What is it now? What does it look like? Now, what do you do? You see black resilience in Milwaukee, and what does that look like? Yeah, I, I think that you know that resiliency within the black community is something that we've carried and passed on from generation to generation, going back to you know the days when we, we arrived on slaving ships. People that survived those journeys were the, the strongest of the strong, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, in every way, and they passed that down to their children and grandchildren. So we've seen that resilience. We've seen you know the black community survive 246 years of legalized slavery. You know, we survived, you know, Jim Crow segregation. We survived thousands of lynchings, you know, hundreds of anti-black race riots. All these things that we've dealt with, we're still here. People were suggesting when slavery ended after the 13th Amendment to the Constitution that black people won't be able to survive without slavery. You know, they won't know how to live. And people were literally predicting to reap in the 1860s. People were making predictions. These were, you know learned people at Harvard and Yale and, you know, places like that, Princeton, that were saying by the end of the 1800s, black people will cease to exist in this country because they're weak. They can't survive. And here we are well over 100 years later. We're still here. And not only are we still here, but I think the resilience is portrayed in so many different ways. You know, it manifests itself in so many different areas. You think about what would America be like without black people? What would the music be like in America if it wasn't for black people, right? Would we enjoy the National Football League or the NBA in the same way if there weren't all these black players? You know, when we're given those opportunities, we take advantage of those opportunities. You know, I think about, you know, growing up as a kid, being a big baseball fan and how, you know, we heard about the story of Jackie Robinson integrating baseball, which I think is a misnomer. He integrated one team. He didn't integrate (laughs) all of baseball. And I think that when you look at the record books in Major League Baseball and all these records that have been set by black people, since we had the door of opportunity open to us, when we get opportunities, we have shown that, man, we can excel. We can mm. we can do things that are incredible. We see signs of it all the time, but we don't think of that as resiliency. We just think of like, you know, oh, you know, LeBron James is, you know, whatever. <laughs> no, LeBron James isn't LeBron James because, you know, he was born with a great body for basketball. LeBron James is who he is because he worked like exceptionally hard. We don't like to give black people credit for the hard work at least um, having success like we do for white people. And that resilience is just built into us. Like, we're going to fight through everything. I think about something that Dr. King wrote about why he does what he does. I mean, he never made money doing what he did, but he fought because he's like, I'm fighting not just for myself and my children and grandchildren of the future. I'm fighting for, you know, our entire community, our entire nation. And I think that black people and our resilience 
and our constant push to make America live up to the ideals of the founding fathers is the key to America being what it is. I don't think America would be what it is today if it was for black people pushing us mm -hmm. in that direction. And that's part of our resilience. Like, listen, you can step on us, you can spit on us, you can do all these things, but we're not going to give up. We're going to stay in the fight. We're going to force you to do what's right. And that is just something that I've always lived with. I think about, you know, the work that I do. And I tell people all the time that part of my motivation is that I'm always, you know, trying to do this work because it's honoring my ancestors and all the trials and tribulations that they dealt with. But they survived in such a way that I'm here and I'm able to have a successful life. If it wasn't for the struggles they had, the resiliency to get through those struggles, I wouldn't be here. right? So to me, I don't think that we as a community take that level of pride in what we've accomplished with the resiliency. And I don't think that we see it, how it manifests itself in every day. You know, despite the fact that we grew up in some very difficult circumstances, we continue to thrive in many ways. Not all of us, but we are fighters and we, we've been fighters since, you know, we got here. It's funny, I was like, did you see Wakanda forever? Yes. Remember the quote from Namor? He goes to uh, Shuri telling her the most broken people makes the greatest leaders. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I was just thinking about that. And I was also, I think you were telling me that even our resilience to fight for our rights help grow this country's immigration laws. I'm okay. Like a lot of the immigrants that have helped build this country is because of our fight for our rights. And, you know, a lot of the rights that we take for granted, you know, our civil rights, you know, the laws were, you know, created by the efforts of, you know, the black community. I mean, when we think about the civil rights movement, I tell people that, you know, we think about the civil rights movement as this, you know, the black people fighting for rights for black people. No, they were fighting for rights for everybody. And all of those laws that were created really have been built in such a way that now there are a lot of other people that those laws help to protect and support that weren't a part of the movement necessarily. They weren't doing it for the black community. They were doing it for everybody. You know, Dr. King constantly talked about, you know, America wrote a check to black people with the Emancipation Proclamation that came back, signed insufficient funds. And, you know, he said, America owes this to not just the black community, but to all of us to be better. And when I think about the other part of the question you asked earlier about the resilience in Milwaukee, I think there's a great deal of resilience in Milwaukee. I think that people are losing hope, though. I think every day some segment of our community is losing hope because of all of the really horrific things that we see happening on a regular basis. And I think that I tell people, like, listen, man, you can't give up hope. If somebody isn't working to help make Milwaukee better, then it's never going to get better. You have to have a sense of like, OK, are we going to just fall down and just let these things happen and not try to do anything? Or are we going to fight, you know, to make things better? And I think, you know, I meet a lot of people, young people that I'm very proud of in Milwaukee that are doing wonderful things to help, you know, create a different environment. I think particularly for young people, I think that we have to show them something different so that they can see, you know, the possibilities being different for themselves. And we don't do that enough. Tariq, I think that we, we spend too much time being negative about young people. And it's like, you're not building them up. You're, you're knocking them down. You're telling them they can't do this. They can't do that. Instead of saying, no, you have the capability of doing, you know, X, Y, and Z. 
And, you know, that's part of what I tried to do as a teacher. I tried to build my students up. I tried to tell them the importance of confidence in themselves. You know, we, I don't think the black community has a lot of confidence in itself in Milwaukee. And I think part of that is because nobody is, is trying to, you know, to nurture us in a way that we have confidence in ourselves. You know, we, we focus on all of the negative stuff and we never shine a light on all the positive stuff, all of the good things that are happening. And until we make that transition as a community from every quarter of the community, whether it be the black community, white community, everybody, we have to begin to look at Milwaukee in a different way. You know, it's very easy to just say, you know, Milwaukee is broken. We can't fix it. But I say as long as people are working, we're making progress. After the break, Tariq and Reggie sit down for an in-depth, one-on-one conversation about personal resilience and how Reggie's doing after his stroke. Reggie also talks about continuing his work to be a positive change agent here in Milwaukee. Thanks for listening to the second season of By Every Measure. If you'd like to continue the conversation, we encourage you to join our By Every Measure discussion group on Radio Milwaukee's Facebook page. Each week, we're opening a dialogue on the episode's topics with daily conversation prompts and a weekly virtual meetup to discuss responses and navigate the community conversations collectively. You can find the group at facebook.com slash Radio Milwaukee. We talked a lot about Black resilience, but you kind of had your own Black resilience recently. You want to share that? What yeah, you, absolutely. What you've been going through? So back in early November, I had a stroke. And, you know, I'm three months out and recovering really well. My recovery's gone. Just so much better than I thought. You know, it wasn't a major stroke. It was a fairly minor stroke, but, you know, a stroke is a stroke. Mm-hmm. And it's taken a lot of hard work for me to, to get to where I am today. You know, I've been working with therapists, physical, occupational, and speech therapists to kind of get me back to where, you know, I need to be. And the progress has been great. Mm. I've seen the therapist dismiss me from physical and occupational therapy. Like three weeks ago, they said, Reggie, you, you know, you've exceeded all the goals we set for you. You're doing really, really great. And it's been hard work, Tariq. But, you know, part of what I've learned through the course of all of this is I have a, a message that I can share with other people, uh, lessons I've learned about my relationship with my body, about what I had to do to get back to where I am, the lifestyle changes that I've made, and how important it is for us to have a better relationship with our bodies. Especially black men. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I just talked to a friend of mine recently, and he talked about, like, you know, he knows a lot of black men in their 50s that have had strokes, you know, over the last year or so, and how it's like really, you know, just very dramatic and problematic. I don't want to be, you know, a statistic, mm. but I am. You know, I had a stroke. There's nothing I can do to go back and change it now. But the fact that I had the stroke and I survived and I'm thriving, doing really well right now, is my way of acknowledging that, you know, despite everything I went through, I could have just given up. You know, a lot of people have a stroke and they become very debilitated. And then they, they deal with, you know, the the depression that comes mm-hmm. with not being able to do things they could do before. I've tried to maintain a very positive sense. And part of the way I've done that, Tariq, is that I've had such a great support system around me. You know, my wife has been just like an angel, literally like an angel <laughs> taking care of me. And my mother has been great. 
You know, my family has been so supportive, you know, good friends. I was fortunate enough to have a really good, strong support system around me to help me through all of this. And it's kept me in a positive mindset. And a lot of people, unfortunately, don't have that. And I always say that, you know, I used to say this to my students when I was a teacher, the most important decisions that you will make will be the friend networks that you build, the people that you spend time around. If you have the right people in your life, you never know how that's going to impact you versus having the wrong type of people in your life. And I'm fortunate enough that I've, you know, created a great deal of, you know, relationships with a lot of really just great people. And they came to support me through this journey. And I wouldn't be where I am today, you know, in terms of my mental health being what it is. If it was for that support system and all the, the people that reached out to me and, you know, the prayers and all the things that people have sent me. You know, I've gotten more gifts in the mail over these last few months. You know, that first week out of the hospital, I got free food like every day from somebody. Right? And it just shows me like, man, Reggie, people really care about mm. you. And it, it helped me in, in, a, in a very positive way. I didn't know how I was going to get through, you know, the stroke and what was going to come after the stroke. But, you know, I've had just a bunch of positivity in my life from friends, family members, the therapists I work with have been just, you know, wonderful people. It's been a great journey. And I've learned a lot about the things that I put in my body that are healthy and unhealthy. You know, and it's, it's strange. A lot of the stuff that we really love to eat is not very healthy for us, right? And uh, it's been a great journey, man. I'm really happy to be here with you all. You know, I, I didn't think after I had the stroke, you know, when I first got out of the hospital, I could barely talk. You know, my voice was like a whisper. And I didn't think I'd be able to, to come back and, and do this, you know, the second season of the podcast with you guys. I didn't think my voice would ever recover. But my speech therapist has been, you know, really, really good to work with. She's been pushing me and pushing me and pushing me, giving me things to do at home that have really helped a lot. And my body feels really strong with the dietary changes, the regular mm-hmm. exercise, I've lost over 20 pounds. You know, I'm really feeling very healthy and uh, just want to continue to build a momentum. I'm hoping to someday in the near future get back out on the basketball court to play <laughs> what I'm calling old man basketball. Because, <laughs> you know, I really miss that type of physical mm. activity. But I'm very fortunate. It could have been a lot worse. Mm. And I think about, you know, people that I know friends of mine that had a stroke within the last couple of years that are really in very bad shape, weren't as fortunate as me in terms of their recovery. But I've learned our relationship with our body is the most important relationship we have in the world because if we don't take care of our bodies, our bodies will tell us, like, yeah. hey, dude, you, you're abusing me. So, you know, any abusive relationship, a good friend of mine, you know, gave me that advice. He said, you know, treat your body like you're in a relationship with it, Reggie. You're either going to be in a good relationship or an abusive relationship, and which one you think is healthier. And so that's kind of been the mindset I've had, you know, treat my body better. But I think, you know, that's something that in this society, it's really hard to, to eat healthy. Yeah, it it's is. It's very <laughs> difficult. We have so many unhealthy choices. You know, we're constantly bombarded with, you know, commercials for unhealthy choices. And I was thinking about you know, sitting at home watching the Super Bowl and all these commercials <laughs> like, man, I can't eat any of that stuff. <laughs> you know, I would have loved to have, 
you know, called up that place and ordered some, you know, some wings for, mm-hmm. you know, for Super Bowl. You know, that's one of the traditional food yeah. Super Bowl. I'm like, I can't eat that stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would taste great, <laughs> but it wouldn't be good for my body. Yeah. Well, thank you. You are a, a gem, a Milwaukee gem. I guess I can call you like, is it okay I call you Milwaukee's griot? Is that the right word? Griot? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Like, thank you. Your knowledge is very important, especially now these days. And we're happy to be able to share it through this podcast for the last two seasons. And um, we really appreciate it. Taking yeah. the time to, out of your schedule to stop by. Yeah, yeah. This has been great for me, man. I, I appreciate the opportunity to be in the space with you, Tariq. And the podcast has just been, you know, it's been a great experience for me. And, you know, I've received so much positive feedback constantly getting feedback and I was somewhere I don't know about a month ago and some random person that I'd never seen before came up to me and said are you Reggie Jackson I'm like yeah and she's like hey I listened to that podcast you did with 89 radio station she said it was phenomenal she said I loved it so much that you know I I told you know friends and families about it she says I got my dad to listen to it and my mom to listen to it. She said it's really very impactful. So, you know, I appreciate the opportunity to be in the space with you. This has been great work. That's a wrap for By Every Measure Season 2. For Kim Shine, Reggie Jackson, I'm Tariq Moody. Thanks again for listening. And if you want to go deeper on the conversations, make sure you check out our Facebook group for more discussion topics. And if you haven't checked out season one of By Measure, you can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, be well and take care. By Every Measure season two is hosted by Tariq Moody and Reggie Jackson, as well as contributor Kim Shine. I'm Nate Imig, executive producer for the podcast, which is mixed and edited by Kiri Salinas, with segment producing by Salam Fatire. Mallory Wallace and DJ Brewer manage our community engagement in our Facebook discussion group, while Sarah Lahr leads our marketing team of Dan Reiner and Aaron Bagata. Brett Kraskowski is Radio Milwaukee's web editor, and Maxie Jackson is Radio Milwaukee's executive director. Thanks most of all to our members for making this and all content from Radio Milwaukee possible. Radio Milwaukee is hyphen 414music.fm and 88.9 in Milwaukee. By Every Measure Season 2 is an original podcast production of Radio Milwaukee, part of the NPR Podcast Network.